How do you do? Mr. Brian Peters feels it would be a little unkind to present this podcast, gravely amusing, without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold an episode from the mind of Brian Peters, a fan of pop culture who sought to create a podcast after his own image, without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest podcasts ever listened to. It deals with two great fandoms of pop culture, humor, and horror. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such strain, now's your chance to... Well, we warned you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another badass episode of Gravely Amusing, the only pop culture podcast that puts her pants on just like the rest of you, one leg at a time. Except once my pants are on, I make whole podcasts. Today's episode is on the last of the Mohicans. Maybe. But the last of the Universal Monsters, the reason that Long John Silver's restaurant started serving chicken. The man who puts the fish in fish and chips. The gill man. The creature from the Black Lagoon. I feel the creature is one monster that gets very low respect. I mean, he was introduced when Universal Monsters were pretty much at their end. And horror films were shifting into more of like a sci-fi kind of horror. Or bug-eyed monster type thing. Um, you know, aliens, robots, that kind of stuff. So I think that's where he kind of got, he kind of suffered from that a bit because he's right in that middle area where, where he's kind of a universal monster. I mean, he is a universal monster, but he's, he, he I mean, he was introduced in the fifties where 20 years prior, we had Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy, visible man, stuff like that. Uh, Ten years prior was the Wolfman, and then we just get sequel, 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 sequels, and then they try something new with the Gill Man, and it's just he's he doesn't get the respect that he probably should. Well, it's up to you to decide if he deserves respect. Um, but basically, he was the first ever cryptid to be introduced in mainstream film. Uh, if I'm wrong with that, please correct me, but I couldn't find any other movie before or around this time that had cryptids, like our legends, like folklore. So if I'm wrong, please correct me, though. Um, but Gilman, even though he was at the end of the era, he did have three films under his belt, so they give him a trilogy. Every other Universal monster gets five, six films, but Old Gil only gets three. So, but you know, he had a trilogy, so that's good. Uh, after those three movies, though, the Gil Man only shows up in cameo appearances. Like, uh, oh, he shows up in, in cameos until 1987's Monster Squad, 
where he's officially called Gilman, like in the credits. And I think there was like a legal issues related to that. Like they couldn't call him the creature from the Black Lagoon. They just call him Gilman. But even in the Black Lagoon or uh, yeah, the Black Lagoon movies, they call him the Gilman. So he's just officially the Gilman. Whatever. But this create this creature from the Black Lagoon, he was the sole creation of Universal Studios. So I don't understand why they didn't market this dude more because like Dracula is Dracula. They didn't create him. Frankenstein, the mummy. Well, they kind of created the mummy, you know, when they went to Claris and stuff. But with the creature from the Black Lagoon, like they marketed the whole thing. They own the whole thing. So I don't understand why you wouldn't keep using this and just, I don't know. But whatever. So they, I mean, like, they create this creature and going in the 50s with these monster movies, I would have just kept it going. But I'll, I'll, I'll see your opinion on this, listeners, because I, I think at the end they just ruin the character. <laughs> but, but, uh, but you'll see. So the idea for this creature came where, in my opinion, I get my best ideas, I don't know about you, uh, over food. <laughs> um, pr- the producer, William Allen, was attending a dinner party for the film Citizen Kane in 1941. And Mexican cinematographer, get, uh, I'll probably butcher these names in this podcast, so give me some grace. I apologize. But uh, Mexican cinematographer uh, Gabriel uh, Figura, uh, they struck up a conversation uh, at the, at the uh, dinner table. And Gabriel told him about a myth of a race of half-human, half-fish creatures who lived in the Amazon River. Uh, Figura said a friend of his disappeared in the Amazon while filming a documentary on this rumored population of fish people. Uh, to me, that should be the opening to the film right there. Just, just like a, a, a documentary guy just hearing this story and hearing that other people have disappeared. Just, I don't know, that's cool. But Alan would write notes and then 10 years later he would take these notes on the sea monster story and he created the creature from it but that's a long time remember conversation before you actually jump on it so he must have took pretty good notes now i researched as much as i could find about these amazon fish people mainly because you listeners deserve it and i freaking love cryptids So this is what I found out. Check this out. So in the Amazon, there is a legend of the Yakaruna. It's called Yakaruna. It's spelled Y-A-C-U-R-U-N-A, Yakaruna. They are a mythical water people of the Amazon who live in beautiful underwater cities made of crystal with multicolored walls of fish scales and pearls. And they sleep reclining on hammocks of feathers under a mosquito net of butterfly wings. These hammocks are made of snakes, uh, and they use turtles for seats. So 
these cities, I think maybe James Wan maybe knew some of this, this legend and he used that kind of Aquaman. Um, but the name is derived from the, uh, I'll probably butcher this again, the Quechua language. Yaku means water and Runa means man. So it translates to water men. The Yakaruna is described as being hairy with a backwards head and deformed backwards feet. So basically, I'm the backwards man, the backwards man. I can walk backwards as fast as you can. <laughs> I'm stupid. <laughs> Some illustrations do depict the Yakaruna as a man-like creature with a serpent companion and they're riding a giant crocodile and they got an octopus band and the artist is in the front row and the artist is hammer drunk. And that, that's how they like their Yakaruna. But that's not all. The Yakaruna supposedly come out of the Amazon rainforest at night and they use black crocodiles as canoes. During the sleep during the day, they sleep at the bottoms of rivers and lakes with one eye open, gripping their pillow tight. They also have the abilities of Aquaman and can communicate with aquatic animals of the Amazon, and they also have control over them. But wait, there's more. Locals believe that Yakarona can transform into dolphins, which are attracted to the odor of blood in menstruating women. They smell the menstruation, and once the woman is found, a Yakaruna will transform into a handsome man who then tries to use aphrodisiacs to kidnap her and bring her into his kingdom. Wow. Okay. So when people of the Amazon disappear, such as fishermen, uh, husbands, young girls who mysteriously return pregnant, is assumed that they have been seduced by the fish side and captured by the Yakaruna. The victims are or uh, the victims the victims are not returned pregnant or can't get away. They slowly transform into a Yakaruna. Their fish their eyes turn fish like, their head and their feet turn backward, and that is so they can't find their way home and they have no choice but to continue onwards to the underwater city. Transformation is reversible. Um, sorry, transformation is irreversible and a victim should now re never return to his or her home. The, the only way, I'm sorry, the only way you can reverse the Yakarina spell or transformation is if a, a, is if an Amazonian shaman summons a Yakaruna they establish trust, and the Yakaruna uses their healing abilities to remove the curse. So there is hope. So um, some stories about the Yakaruna. A man named Don Juan Flores Salazar says that his sister was taken by Yakaruna. One day she was swimming, and she was pulled underwater, and she vanished. Years later, he saw her again. She was alive, but she transformed into a mermaid. She supposedly married Yakaruna. She gained knowledge in becoming a healer of the waters. 
and they complimented each other for the guy was a healer of the lands. And their, her fish husband believed it was her destiny to become a Yakaruna. Uh, whatever, okay. So are there any other Fishman or Amazon legends? Brian, are there? Well, yes, self. Yes, there is. There's also another Amazonian legend. In the depths of Peru's Amazon rainforest lurks the Mayantu. It's a reptilian goblin-like creature with a scaly body and the face of a toad. And this god roams between two dimensions, the physical and the spiritual. It has shape-shifting abilities that allow it to camouflage itself by uh, imitating the bark of a tree or taking the shape of an animal. It is said that it's not evil, but it's a guardian of the rainforest that will help you if you're lost. But if you hurt the rainforest or any of its animals, it will come for you. So, Fishman, Frogface. <laughs> um, how about a tale from North America? Do I have any Canadian listeners in the house? Canadians? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody from Vancouver? Uh, you? You? Yep. Okay. Cool. Uh, check this out. In 1972, the creature... Uh, this creature in Canada was first encountered by two teenage boys. The monster was described as being a reptilian human-looking thingy standing five feet and had it. It was like a human lizard which a with a large head that was covered in spikes. Four days after these kids saw this creature, two men reported the same creature in the lake swimming and stated that the lizard man was covered in silvery scales. In a week, a man reported that his pet lizard, a lizard that can grow four feet long, uh, went missing. Now, two of these witnesses came forward. I apologize. It's been a long day. Um, two of the four witnesses came forward and claimed their sightings were hoaxes to just get attention. I couldn't, I don't know if it was the men or the boys or one of each. I'm not sure. Um, it was probably, it was probably the men. Um, but they, they said that they were hoax. They just wanted attention. The police closed the investigation stating that the lizard man was probably this missing lizard. But many locals still believe that the Thetis Lake Lizard Man, as he's called, is still alive on the lake. Would you like another cryptid legend? I got it for you. There's a Spanish legend that's called the Fishman of Lirganus. And this is probably the most famous one, famous one, because there's a statue. The town of Lirganus is in northern Spain, and it hosts a statue of a strange fish dude. Uh, looking at this picture of the statue, I, I suggest you look it up. It is uh, it's called the Fishman of Lirganes. It's spelled L I E R G A N E S. Looking at that picture, uh, I don't see any fish characteristics at all. I am eighty percent deaf. I I guess I'm blind because I don't see any of I don't see any of this. But there's a plaque referring to him near the statue. The plaque says, His feet crossing the ocean from the north to the south of Spain. If it was not true, it deserved to be. Today, his greatest feat is to have crossed the centuries in the memory of men. 
truth or legend. Learganus honors him here and sponsors him immortality. Okay. This plaque is found along the shore of the Mier River. And according to this myth, the fish man was an amphibious humanoid, alleged to have been a human male who had become lost at sea. The theory is that somehow he evolved into a semi-human fish entity at home in the sea or on land. And he was captured by fishermen, and he was returned to his family in Lyrganus. But there's, there's more than one version of this whole story. So another dude in about the year 1650 says there lived a couple named Francisco de la Vega and Maria del Cesar, who had four sons. When Francisco, the father, died, the family had no way to support themselves. So Maria decided to send one of her sons, Francisco de la Vega Cesar, named after both his mother and father, uh, to a town called Bil Bilbao to work as a carpenter. Uh, he was known to live and work there until one day he went swimming with his friends, and he was believed to be a good swimmer, but he got caught in a strong current and he was swept out to sea. He was last seen alive, still swimming into the sea, where he's believed to have lost and drowned. So his friends suck. Uh, they should have made sure he got back in, even though they thought he was a good swimmer. Uh, they suck. Uh, in 1679, five years after Francisco was last seen, a fishing boat working in the Bay of Cadiz discovered that they had a very unusual catch. A very strange creature had become entangled and attempted to fight itself free. The fishermen tried to capture the creature, but it managed to escape into the sea. Several sightings of the creature were reported by other fishermen in the area as it became entangled in their nets as well. Finally, someone had the idea of ticing it with bread, and it was brought on deck. To their surprise, they found the creature had a human body, such as, uh, oh, sorry, had a human body that belonged to a human male. Well, duh, I mean, it's a human body, whatever. The skin was pale, and he had red hair, and his nails were short and corroded. Curiously, it also had noticeable attributes of a fish, and it had a strip of scales from its throat to its midriff and another strip of scales ring along its spine. Uh, and, when, and, these, and around his neck, it looked like he had gills. The combination of human and fish features and having pulled from the sea just, just baffled them. Fishermen hadn't seen anything like this dude. Having no idea where they had caught him, they, what they caught was a human or fish. Uh, they thought it was an unholy monstrosity. But they took it on shore to the nearby covenant uh, co Covenant, co co convent, sorry. They took it to the convent of St. Francis because they thought it was a monstrosity. And here the fishman uh, was uh, exercised and questioned, but gave no info. Because when you find something you don't understand or you see something you don't understand, you just got to exercise it and put, put the love of Jesus on it. Because the love of Jesus will fix anything uh, instead of just trying to figure it out. You know, let's just exercise it. Um, eh, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but the fish man, 
the fishman just kept saying one word, kept saying Leerganus or Leerganus. Uh, no one knew what that meant. So news of this fisherman spread around the bay, and although people wondered, no one could knew what the word Leerganus meant. Eventually, news got to a sailor from the north of Spain who docked at Cadiz, and he pointed out there's a village in the north of Spain called Leerganus, and it's uh, close to his hometown. The church sought out the truth and to find where this fisherman came from. They confirmed that this village did exist. But the only uh, extraordinary, though tragic event in the village was five years earlier, they had a presumed drowning of Francisco de la Vega Cesar. His body was never found, and it was remembered that he had red hair. So they didn't have much to go on, but it struck a chord with one of the priests who speculated that the fishman probably was Francisco de la Vega Cesar. So he requested permission to visit Ligans accompanied by the fishman. They visited Maria del Cesar, the mother of Francisco, who instantly recognized the unknown individual as her son. With Maria claiming Francisco as her son, the priest left him with the family. Now, he lived peacefully and quietly with the family, uh, but he had very, very strange habits. He never wore anything on his feet. He was preferred to walk around barefoot at all times. And unless he was specifically given clothes to wear that day, he always stripped down to nude. He also never spoke enough words to form a sentence, so he never really spoke to anyone. He would mumble single words such as bread, wine, or tobacco, but they were never related to what they meant. So if he was hungry, he might say tobacco. If he was thirsty, he might have said bread, something like that. Uh, although he would eat with enthusiasm when the mood took him, he sometimes would go a whole week without eating. He was polite and courteous, though. When asked to do a task, he would oblige. He would do it quickly and efficiently, but he had zero enthusiasm in anything he did. It was like it was like he it was like he felt out of place. He spent nine years living with his mom and family. And then one day he just went out to the sea. He couldn't take it anymore and he never returned. No one ever seen or heard from him again. So all these legends and this dinner party created Universal's legendary movie cryptid, The Creature from the Black Lagoon. This movie was released in 1954 on February 12th. So happy negative 31st birthday to my friend Tyler. Um, this movie was released in 3D, and so was the sequel, because there ain't nothing more gosh darn terrifying than a 3D fisherman, except maybe an invisible man's twig and berries in your face. I think that's pretty terrifying. Um, so this movie was released February 12th, 1954, and it made about a million bucks, roughly. So who designed this creature? Well, there are various designs for the Gill Man. Uh, William Allen envisioned the Gill Man as basically a sad, beautiful monster. He took a lot of things from um, from Beauty and the Beast, a lot of ideas from that. But he wanted the vision of the Gill Man uh, more, more like an aquatic development of a human. So like a human that was turning into a fish instead of a fish that was turning into a human. He thought it would be more scary if it was like a human... Uh, you know, turning into fish, and you know, he's and he's right. 
So in the beginning, the Gilman's design was meant to incorporate like a sleek, uh, feminine eel-like figure, which didn't have as many bumps and gills as the final version. But uh, the designer of the final Gilman was actually former Disney illustrator Millicent Patrick. I believe she worked on Snow White, Bambi, and Dumbo. But um, because of sexist assholes, her role was downplayed, and the credit went to a makeup artist called uh, named Bud Westmore. For basically half a century, he got sole credit for the creation of the Gill Man, which is total BS because um, Millicent really did the work. The Gill Man suit made by Millicent was made from airtight molded sponge rubber, and it cost like $15,000 to make. The underwater scenes of the movies were filmed in Wakola Springs in northern Florida, which is a state park right now. And part of the film was also shot in Jacksonville, Florida, on the south side of the river near the old Acosta Bridge. In the underwater scenes of the movie, air was fed into the Gilman suit with a rubber hose. Uh, the man who portrayed the creature in all underwater scenes in all three films was a guy named Rico Browning. And Rico stated that he could hold his breath for roughly four minutes if he didn't move. But if they wanted action in the scene, he could only hold it for two minutes, even with this air fed to him. Uh, the Gill Man is uh, fully am amphibious. He is capable of breathing both in and out of the water. It does possess large webbed hands with sharp claws at the tip of each finger. The Gill Man's scaly skin is extremely tough, uh, with and he has a fast-acting killing factor which allows it to survive wounds that would be fatal to humans, uh, such as gunshots and blades. So if you impale him with a spear and he rips it out, he'll basically heal himself. He's like aquatic wolverine. Um, he also possesses superhuman strength. And of course, he can swim so well, he's a lifeguard at the Olympics. You just you just never see him because, because it's the Olympics. In <laughs> uh, the third film, it's revealed that the Gill Man actually has a dormant set of lungs. Uh, if his gills are ever damaged beyond repair, he actually has lungs. So the Gill Man is sensitive to bright light, and he can killed he can be killed with uh, enough force or just you know calling Aquaman. So my listeners, let's break down these films as best we can, because uh, as you know, Universal. They're not really good at making sequels. So, um, you know, let's let's see how this goes. So the first movie, the first film, the movie starts off like you're watching a church video or the sequel to the Ten Commandments because, uh, you know, and maybe the sequel is called the Twenty Commandments or these 15, 10 commandments. And the narrator basically says God created the heavens and the earth and the earth and water and yada yada. Uh, it gives you a vibe that you're getting a story about animals or like evolution or um, or basically you're listening to a movie about the missing link, the link between humans and fish or, you know, in this case, instead of like humans and apes. But uh, we go right into a geology or rock studying expedition in the Amazon and they find something pretty cool. This doc finds a fossilized evidence uh, like a skeletal hand 
with webbed fingers from the Devonian period. Uh, the Devonian period was like the age of fish evolving the past. So, like, instead of, like, amoebas or, um, or anything like that, it was like, like, this is the period that fish were created, sharks, dolphins, uh, you know, that, that type of, and dolphins aren't fish, but you know what I mean. Like, it was, it was like the Jurassic Park era of fish. So, yeah. So, this hand that they find is conveniently just sticking out of the wall with absolutely no other rock by it, no other skeletal remains nearby. Um, it, it, it looks silly <laughs> in, in the wall. And it, it just kind of, like, pulls it out. But um, they wonder if this will provide a direct link between land and sea animals. The expedition leader is named Dr. Carl, Carl uh, Maya, and he orders his two, his, two, his, his two assistants, who seem to be tribal people, since one is wearing basically just a loincloth. Uh, he orders them to stay at camp while he visits a marine biology institute. Carl re <laughs> reunites with his friend and former student, who's now an ethologist. He, he's a fish doctor, basically. Uh, his name is Dr. David Reed. Uh, we now see the part, uh, we see the part in this movie when we introduce David that uh, is makes this movie entirely fictional because David is swimming in that Amazon water and he has no diving suit or skin protection of any kind. He is, he is basically wearing swimming trunks and two tanks on his back in this dirty, dirty ass water. Uh, the only thing that's protecting him is basically his manly head, his manly chest hair and swimming trunks. That's all he's got. But they got prionas in that water. They got leeches. They got crazy ass bacteria, like a bigger threat than this creature. But David doesn't care. He's going to give everybody Ebola. And the other unrealistic thing here is David's girlfriend. I think her name is yeah. Her name's Kay. Uh, she's smoking hot. Like, what the heck's she doing with a fish doctor? But whatever. But we get back to reality, and we find out that Kay and David have been together six months, and they're already talking to marriage. So she basically just wants his money, and, and this all makes sense now. But uh, Dr. Dave works at an aquarium in California, but lately he's been a guest at Carl's Institute in Brazil to study uh, the lungfish. Yeah, whatever. So Carl, Carl says to David, hey, kid, I found something amazing. Uh, just talk to your boss and get us money, and we'll go down there. And your boss will do it because he, he, he loves publicity and he, he loves money. So David persuades his boss, the money-focused Dr. Mark Williams, to fund a return expedition to the Amazon to look for the remainder of the odd skeleton. So... I guess what's scratching my head, what's scratching my head here is, um, like, if if they found this skeleton in the Amazon, as far as I know, Brazil is in the Amazon. At least I think it is. I don't know. I'm probably wrong. I don't know. That I, I, you know, I, they didn't need that much money, but. Uh, Anyway, 
they they want they want Mark to fund this uh, to so they can get the whole skeleton. They can find the whole skeleton. So soon after this, Carl. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Soon after um, the men that um, I'm so sorry. Soon after the the camp that Carl had, uh, a gill man, an actual living member of the same species from the fossil, comes out of the water, and he's curious about the camp. He's checking it out. And he wants to know why they took the skeleton remains of his ancestors. And his sudden appearance frightens the assistants that Carl left and they lose their minds. They attack the fish guy. And in response, the creature freaking kills him. So it kills two people. And meantime, the group goes aboard the steamship Rita. Captain by Krusty Pants. Uh, Captain Crunch. Krusty, Krusty the Clown. Um, no, Krusty Lucas is the name. The captain's name is Krusty Lucas. What a great captain name. Uh, the group consists of David, Carl, Mark, David's hot girlfriend, and somehow colleague, uh, David's hot girlfriend, and somehow she's her, his colleague too, uh, Kay Lawrence. And they get another scientist named Dr. Edwin Thompson. They arrive at the camp. They discover Carl's assistants have been killed, and Lucas suggests it was likely done by Jaguar, but the others, they, they aren't too sure. So they start digging. They don't. They don't find any, anything left of the skeleton. So Mark's ready to give up the search, but David suggests that perhaps thousands of years ago, the park of this, the part of this rock that they're digging in, containing the rest of the skeleton, fell into the water and was actually washed downriver and was broken up by the current. So uh, Carl says the water empties into a lagoon. Uh, Captain Lucas calls it the Black Lagoon, which is a paradise from which no one has ever returned. The scientists decide to risk it, unaware that the Gill Man exists, and uh, and that uh, the Gill Man is watching them. So, taking notice of Kay, the creature decides to follow the Rita all the way to his home in the Black Lagoon. And once they arrive, David and Mark go diving in that dirty ass water to collect samples from the lagoon. And because once again, exposing their bare skin to the water is fine, um, they just, they collect it. Now, I, I did some digging, because this was driving me nuts. I wanted to find out when the diving suit was invented, and it was invented in 1715. So like 140 years before, earlier, the diving suit was created, but they're not using it. In the 1950s, the traditional diving suit was kind of baggy. It kind of like, it looks like a baggy bat suit. <laughs> um, but regardless, I would not swim naked in that water or with, you know, swim trunks. Uh, they're stupid. But anywho, after they return, uh, Kay decides to go swimming and she's watched by, uh, she's watched by the gill man who uh, gets briefly caught in one of the ship's nets. Although it escapes, the creature leaves a claw behind uh, in the net. Like, or I'm sorry, the creature leaves um, the net clawed through and thus revealing its existence. 
So after the creature attacks and kills a few more people, so the movie can happen, it finds Kay and attempts to abduct her, but is captured and locked in a cage aboard the Rita. It escapes during the night. It attacks this Edwin dude who is guarding it. Kay smashes the creature with a lantern, driving it off, and this Edwin is uh, severely injured. So we learn here that the creature absolutely hates light and is not a fan of fire. So David decides they need to return to civilization, you know, screw screw the creature. But Mark is obsessed with this creature and killing it or bringing it back so that he can make a crap load of money. So Mark says no. Uh, as Arita tries to leave, they find that the Gill man has blocked the lagoon's entrance with a log. The others attempt to remove the log. Mark tries to capture the creature himself, and uh, he gets his big-ass spear gun, and he goes black man on the creature's ass. But the creature kills him quicker than a McDonald's ice cream machine stops working. The creature then climbs aboard the Rita and approaches Kay and says, I'm old Greg. We could be happy together. Have you ever drink Bailey's from a show? Kay screams as, as old Greg grabs her, taking her away to his slayer. David, Lucas, and Carl pursue them. Uh, they rescue Kay, and they shoot the creature with bullets. It retreats to his lagoon, where his body sinks into the watery depths. The gill man just wanted some booty. Old Greg just wanted to be happy and drink Bailey's from the show. <laughs> uh, a year later, the sequel comes out, and once again, they try the 3D... Uh, a 3D model, the 3D sales pitch. Um, and like normal universal fashion and uh, kind of modern Hollywood fashion, well, let's get a franchise out of everything because everything has to be a franchise. Let's bang out these sequels. Let's milk this as much as we can. And that's that's the thing that pissed me off most about these universal movies is, is they just do sequels for the sake of sequels. There's no continuity. There's no story. There's no purpose. It's just just do it and and bang as get as much money as we can, and the quality is just horrible. It's just it's just horrible. So disappointing. Um, this sequel was nothing like the first. I I felt the first movie was actually Maze Balls in my opinion. Uh, that actually was pretty darn good for what it was. This sequel is it, it's yuck. It's 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 garbage. So here's here's the plot quickly. Uh, the Gillman survives being shot, and he's captured and sent to Ocean Harbor Oceanarium in Florida. And he's studied by an animal psychologist because um, you can, yeah, fish need psychologists, <laughs> whatever. Uh, but the dude's name is Cleet Ferguson, uh, and the uh, there's a fish student named Helen because she looks like a Helen. Uh, Helen and Cleet fall in love. The Gill Man takes a liking to Helen because he just he he's just he just wants some action. I mean, he's the man's desperate. Um, this so because the Gill Man likes Helen, it makes Cleet's efforts to communicate with the Fishman more difficult. Um, dude can't talk, and he's not going to sleep on a couch for you or lay on a couch for you, so you can talk about his mother. It's like, give me a break. But uh, the Gill Man escapes from the tank. He kills his caretaker, Joe, in the process, and he flees to the ocean. 
but the creature can't stop thinking about Helen. So he comes back from the ocean. He abducts her uh, from a seaside restaurant where her and Cleet are at a party. And Cleet tries to give chase, but the Gilman escapes into water with Helen. Uh, Cleet and, and police arrive just in time when the creature surfaces. Police shoot him as Cleet saves heaven. Or Cleet, heaven. <laughs> Cleet saves Helen. So basically the same freaking thing as the last movie, except you had it in a seafood restaurant or seaside restaurant and the police and uh, it's, it's stupid, but that's it. That's the movie. It's cut and paste. Uh, then we get a third, a second sequel called the creature walks among us as a year later, they don't do it in 3d. They're just banging out sequels as much as they can. You know, you got to make the trilogy and, you know, at this time, Universal Monsters was over. You know, horror was changing. And, and we'll get that in the second season of, of Gravely Amusing if I have the privilege to do it. If you listeners keep listening, um, uh, you know, I'm probably going to, I'm, I'm going to do a second, I'm going to do another season, of course. I'm going to keep this going as long as I can. But, you know, Universal Monsters were ending and things were getting more like thriller more um alfred hitchcock and kind of getting a little bit sci-fi twilight zone was coming uh edgar Allan poe movies more thriller was horror was changing so the silent movies and just literary horror like it wasn't good enough they they you know they, you need more creativity so the creature was kind of a victim of that as being the last monster that we talk about. Um, but he's the only character to get a trilogy, which is interesting. And the last movie goes like this. Here, here, here you go. The Gill Man escaped that aquarium, the last movie, you know, and, and the police shot him, remember? So we now have a team of scientists led by this, this real a-hole named Dr. William Barton. And they have a, a book called the Vagabonia Three. It's a real odd ass name, uh, but they want to capture the creature. The creature's hiding out in the, in the Everglades. So uh, Barton, the Spartan guy, he's a nutcase, and he's apparently an abusive husband to his wife. He becomes jealous and paranoid when Marsha is talking to other dudes. So, just my opinion, watching this. Um, I mean, the character probably beats his wife, and, you know, it's, he's a great hero to get behind. Um, there's also this guy character named Jed Grants who keeps hitting on Marsha. Barton thinks something's going on there. Uh, Marsha joins joins Jed and Dr. Tom Morgan on their dive to look for the Gill Man, even though Barton said don't do it. Um, it just seems to me like... Like Marsha just likes being with other dudes and she likes pissing her husband off. And maybe he thinks that she's cheating on him. And she probably is because he seems like a jerk and uh, she seems uh, like a hoe. So, so I mean, I don't know. What do I know? I mean, they, they shouldn't be married. Just my opinion. Uh, but during the dive, Marsha swims too deep and she's overcome with like, um, like she starts losing her mind. Uh, some some divers call this like the ruptures of the deep. She starts losing her mind. She starts taking off her uh, scuba gear. She's like basically high as a kite. 
And this forces Jed and Tom to abandon their search for the Gillman, and they go save her. They capture the Gillman. They burn the Gillman. Uh, he gets burned in fire, and then he gets uh, he gets cosmetic surgery. <laughs> and uh, while they're banishing the Gillman up, the doctors notice that he's shedding his gills. He's breathing with lungs. So with his cosmetic surgery and his new set of lungs, he starts losing his scales. Uh, they give him clothing, and he's like Mr. Gillman. Mr. Rogers is a Gillman. Uh, but they give him like a nice no fear shirt, some Jenko jeans, and Air Jordans. Uh, he's looking good, but uh, but he longs for the ocean. So uh, Barton then uh, kills Jed for talking to his wife too much, and uh, he's realizing what he's done. Barton then tries to put the blame on the Gill man. The Gill Man sees this murder, and I guess he realizes what's going to happen. He's going to be blamed for it. Um, I don't know. Uh, he destroys this electric fence. He kills Barton, and he goes back in the ocean to end one of the dumbest films that there is in the world. And years later, there's there's talk of a reboot uh, after this movie. Uh, through the next like thirty years or so. There's uh, there's talk like John John Carper's going to do a reboot. Uh, it, it just didn't work out. In uh, but in 1987, the Gilman shows up in a movie called The Monster Squad, and I love that movie. And we'll be talking about that in a couple weeks. But I don't think he I don't think the Gilman really hit his stride until uh, Mike Magnolia uh, wrote a Gilman character in Hellboy. And we see this character in live action with uh, Ape Sapien. And he's like the sidekick to Hellboy. Uh, Hellboy's awesome. <laughs> um, but eventually, I think it was in 2017, uh, the Gilman is handed to Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro, who is one of the greatest directors in creative minds of our time. I just keep butchering his, his name. <laughs> but he made a movie that won Best Picture, uh, maybe you heard of it. It's called The Shape of You, and it has Ed Sheeran falling in love with a Gill Man. It's it's a it's a great film, great film. It's I mean it's a little weird, but I personally liked it. I thought Ed Sheeran did a fantastic job, and uh, and that's the Gill Man, everybody. That's the story of the Gill Man. So if you like this episode, or if you liked any of my other episodes, like The Wolfman, Dracula, and Frankenstein. Uh, let me know on Gravely Amusing's Facebook page, uh, on Instagram at Gravely Amusing, on Twitter at Gravely underscore Amusing, on TikTok at Gravely Amusing, and, and you know you can even email me at gravelyamusing at gmail.com. Um, I am I'm an old man and I'm busy. Uh, I'm not on socials so much. I'm trying my best. But um, if you send me a comment or an email, I will be on it right away. I love talking horror. I love talking to my fans. So uh, thank you so much for uh, for listening to me. And you know, whatever platform you're using right now to listen to my podcast, keep doing it. Uh, give me, you know, if you like it, give me a follow, uh, share, tell your friends. Um, if they have an iPhone, tell them it's on Apple Podcasts. I'm on iHeartRadio, Spotify, you know, anything. 
Um, don't don't uh, be afraid to send me a message. I love to hear from you. Uh, thank you, everybody. And I hope the Gill Man thrilled you. I hope he horrified you, or at least he left you gravely amused. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>